You must be listening to the Goblin Broadcast Network at gbn.com.com. Amazing! Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. This is the Bears Grove Podcast for Wednesday, October 11th, 2006. Welcome. My name is Sam Chupp. I'm your host. I'd like to thank Chuck and Lonnie. They uh, started some troublemaking over here and apparently had quite a few people comment on the forums at the Dragon's Landing Inn about their Bears Grove episode. On the other hand, I enjoyed very much uh, the After Serenity podcast, and I really appreciate uh, David and Aaron allowing me to play with their toy. For the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be having a lot of fun. Tonight we have two sections. The first is going to be um, a section I call What's My Motivation, which will be targeted towards players, but also towards people who are doing um, the design of a story or creating a story for players to go through. Um. And it'll be a several-part series. I'm going to start with the first kind of motivation, and we'll go from there. The second thing I'm going to do is go into more detail about Soclair. We talked a little bit about Soclair last time. wanted to get some more uh, of her story told. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to have uh, my partner Cynthia on in the near future to talk about her. But first, some news and notes. The My uh, Second Life blog, uh, Seeds of Fire in Dream, which is located at fireseeds.geekhero.net, is sponsoring a virtual LARP in Second Life, which will take place towards the end of the month. It is going to be a science fiction, thriller, horror, sort of pressure cooker sort of story. 25 people marooned on a ship cascading helplessly into a black hole. What are you going to do? What's your next move? How are you going to survive? Who do you trust? These are all questions you'll answer in a LARP called... The Lazarus Transform. I look forward to running that. And if you are interested in playing in the Lazarus Transform, all you need is two things. One, uh, access to Second Life. And it's easy to do. It's free. You go to secondlife.com. You sign up. You don't have to give them any money. You don't have to give them any credit card information. Just sign up and you can get on. Uh, if you have, a, if your computer can run Second Life at that point in time, that's when you'll know. Now, it may be that your system is not the best system in the universe, but if you can run World of Warcraft, you can definitely run Second Life. The next uh, step to the process is you have to contact me and register. I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, so give me a email address. You can go to fireseeds.geekhero.net to find out more information. The second the second book of the three-part Seventh Son trilogy called Deceit has started up. And man, it is rockin'. 
put out by J.C. Hutchins. Seventh Son is a story about seven people who find out they are clones of one other person. That person is evil. He has gone, put his brain inside various people, his mind, his memory totality, and he's caused massive death, destruction, and despair already, and he's just getting started. Now, at first I thought I would kind of not like it very much, but I'll tell you something. It sucks you in. I would be very grateful to drone on and on about it to you if you'd like. Give me an email. We'll sit and talk about it for hours. But in the meantime, if you have not heard about it, and if you are interested in listening to audio books or audiobooks of any kind, this is free. Go to J.C. Hutchins, jchutchins.net, and you can find the link to subscribe. It's really not hard. And you can sit and listen to every single one of book one, which, you know, really... I envy you this experience. You get to sit and listen to it before, you know, while, you know, you can get every single episode. And I was pulling what's left of my hair out before listening to this thing. So now, once you get up through that, you'll get to the book two. And there's a, at the moment, there's three segments out on book two. And once you're past that, you're going to be right here with me, checking, clicking the little podcast checker. Is it out yet? Is it out yet? What about now? Now? How about now? Nope. How about now? Now? No. Now? It's ridiculous. That's just my way. So um, let's see. What else? What else we got going on? Uh, Lonnie Zell over the Dragon's Landing Inn, who is uh, now a published author, is podcasting his book called Daughter of the Sun. And so I would heartily recommend that you go and get subscribed to that when it starts coming down. It sounds like it's going to be great. I have not read it myself yet. Oh, yeah. Um, One of the things I'm going to do the next couple of weeks is I want to talk about my Dragon Con games give sort of a play report. One of my play reports is already up on the After Serenity podcast, so you'll know what, uh, know about that. But I want to talk about my Changeling game um, and the D&D games that I ran. And I'll be doing that on the Bears Grove at some point very soon. Okay. Uh, I think we're getting to the end. Oh, one thing. Dragonkin. We're going to be doing a Dragonkin very shortly about the fairy's tale. We're going to have the guy who made it. Um, come up and talk to us. So we're gonna. That's gonna be a lot of fun. I can't wait, wait to do that. The fellow who designed the the, dra- the fairy's tale, he'll be doing that. And you know, eventually, I'd like to get a lot of games for kids. You know, game designers who made games for kids and talk to them. For example, John Wick, who made Cat, um, and a couple of other things. So that's that's my that's my goal. My secret plan for world domination uh, or something like that. All right. So, um, hmm, moving right along. I am 
scheduled now to talk, move over into our What's My Motivation segment. So here we go. Hi, this is Mike Montessa from the Godzilla Gaming Podcast. And when Cam and I are relaxing on the beach at Monster Island, we listen to Sam Chupp and the Bears Grove Podcast. In the What's My Motivation segment this week. Well, okay, the question that cuts to the heart of why we play at the gaming table or around our gaming coffee table or seated at the gaming couch with the gaming foot chair uh, or floating in the gaming hot tub. Because, um, you know, I, I want to be open-minded here. A lot of people have different ways to play. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't. I, I really don't think that it's required that we sit around a table as long as we have the seriousness that is uh, sitting around a table. But we'll, I'll get into that another time. Sounds like a good rant or something. I wanted to talk a little bit today. I was doing some thinking about why we game. Why do we play? I mean, what's the point? You know, why we do this? What's, what, is the, what are those things that we do? What are the things that we do in gaming that make it worthwhile, that make it worth coming back to, to do again? Um, and this is not j- just like experience points. Some people might be thinking along those lines. This is not just social reasons because that's sort of outside the scope of what I'm talking about. This is in-game stuff. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is triumph. Boom. Triumph. What is triumph about? Well, there's a time in your character's life sometimes when you just have this utter triumph. For example, players who restored the monarchy in my game way back in history... They work their ass off, okay? They, they basically went, um, they took a ragtag group of people uh, and they found a milkmaid, okay? A, a, a girl who apparently has some kind of silver blood, some sort of royal blood, right? They find this milkmaid. They don't have any reason to believe that anybody else will ever follow them or recognize her as the proper queen. They literally have to hide and fight and sneak and beg and borrow and steal their way across the Elven nation. They have to go against their morals, go against their principles just to get past some of the obstacles that were in their way, some guards, things like that. Things got really tough for them. They faced adversity. And eventually they managed to, over time, gather their forces together, meeting with this noble and that noble and finally fighting their way to get access to this special magical lake called the Miramir. 
Miramir Lake is a sacred place and it has a special kind of water there. And the water is dangerous. You can't swim in it or anything like that. When the water touches a stone at the top of this mountain, uh, of this little hill, it becomes this shimmering fall of light, silver light. Only a silver elf can survive that light. There was no way to tell whether this milkmaid was silver or not for sure. They had a general idea. They think she might might have at least had some silver blood, but they had no idea. She had to be convinced to bravely step into this water and walk into behind the waterfall because that's where the scepter of the king was. And that's just like one step on this journey. It was a long, grueling time, okay? The subject of a campaign. Now, you might say to yourself, well, that sounds like fun, you know? We you must have had a lot of fun. Well, yeah, it was, but there was a lot of um, bickering and there was a lot of fight infighting, and, and actually we, had to, we lost a player during that time. Um, I mean, the player didn't die or anything, but we, we actually had to sort of part ways because things didn't work out. And uh, that was difficult. Eventually, though, eventually, though, they had the triumph of being able to see what happens when the queen was ascended to the throne. Can you imagine playing in a session like that? The triumph of knowing that you worked your butt off for months now against all odds. Against terrible odds. And really, uh, truth be told, I was perfectly willing to let it happen that no way, you know, if they screwed up too much, this wasn't going to happen. It wasn't a given. I was willing to let the flow of history be determined by these people. They knew that they had that responsibility as well. They also knew, and they not—they knew me. They knew that I would stick by my guns because really it makes a good story either way, right? Failure makes a good story as a success. But in this case, they had triumph. And there's that sense that you get a hold of, like, ah, we did it. And that's something that you can always hold on to. Now, that's something that you, as a player, if you've ever felt it, you will want again. That is your motivation as a player. Why we play role-playing games. Triumph. Now, what, what is triumph? What, how do we do that? How do we get to a triumph point? It's hard. It's not something that's easily generated. It's not a... A triumph doesn't come simply. A triumph is never a one-step process. Triumphs come from overcoming adversity, facing long odds, but also having a realistic danger and a realistic goal. Triumph comes from doubt, and then hope, and then 
trusting your feelings about something and going with it. Triumph also comes from righteousness. Now, this is an important part to me. Righteousness, to me, can be a really bad thing in some cases because it's judgmental. But sometimes it can be a really good thing. The, the reason that these players were working against the corrupt dukes who had taken, seized control of the throne was because they were wrong. They were bad. They were doing the wrong things. They were being oppressive. Their agendas, their ideas, their all the things that they were doing were just plain wrong. And that was something that, you know, I didn't necessarily have to harp on because it was real. It was just there. It was part of the story. I didn't have to harp on it because basically obvious. So what I'm saying to you is in order to have this triumph, you're going to have to risk something. You're going to have to lose your hope. You're going to have to be downtrodden. You're going to have to be behind the eight ball and then come through at the very last moment. When you least expect it, when you think that you're doomed, then there you find. So you reach down, you find something, and you get past it. How hard is that to orchestrate? Well, it's not something you can just run a formula through but let me tell you something you can do it here's how you let your players know this is what you want to do you know this is one of the motivations you have you want to get to a triumph you'd like to at some point experience this triumph thing so you have to get them to agree with you and you have to get them to say okay you're right sam you know what uh sometimes we have to risk, and, and we have to just say, look, let the dice fall where they may. We have to say, sometimes we're going to screw up. Sometimes we're going to lose everything. We have to let that happen. We have to let that be a threat. Because if it's not a threat, there's no real adversity. There's nothing that's really happening here. Nothing that's going to cause that sense of adversity that you really need to have your triumph. The other two things I'm going to talk about later. One is attainment. Um, which is to say. Uh, gaining little bennies for yourself. For your character. Which can be. You know. Represented by game mechanics. But also by narrative elements. The other thing is just discovery. And, and remember. I am not talking. About the various models of role-playing here. I mean, there are the GNS models. Yeah, I can see that there's a GNS angle on this. But what I want to, what I really want to do is more focus from the motivational standpoint of what makes us want to come back and do this again. So until the next time we do What's My Motivation, I'm going to sign up on that. 
and just say that triumph is what we're looking for. Don't forget, you have to have adversity. You have to lose something. You have to believe that you're completely lost at some point or another. Have no hope and then overcome. Once you overcome, once you are past that, you have once you have righteous knowledge that you are doing the right thing, that you are fighting the good fight, then that's when you get your triumph. That's when you have your triumph, when you fight the good fight. All right. Thanks so much. Next segment will be my talking about So Claire in the Game With Me segment. Greetings. I'm Sarah. And I'm Neville. From the Does My Geek Look Big In This podcast. And you're listening to the Groovy Bear podcast. What? Uh, Beaver's Grove podcast? No, no, no. Try again. The Bear's Grove podcast? <laughs> you're listening to the Bear's Grove podcast. Enjoy. Okay. So wanted to talk today about So Claire and part of the problem with me discussing So Claire is that um, without Cynthia is that my memory is terrible. <laughs> this is Cynthia Armistead. She's my partner. Hi. And uh, we game together a lot. And our uh, for the past, I think, what, two years now? Three years? Oh, much more than that. Well, I'm talking about for So Claire. We've been playing So Claire, um, the So Claire game, which is, I guess the official ga- name of it is Raven's Flight. Mm-hmm. But um, we've been playing Raven's Flight since, uh, for about two years, about two and a half years. Yeah. I think that's what it was. And um, so a lot of stuff has gone on. You know, it's a single, it's a one-on-one game. So as a result, there's a lot of um, story that gets done very quickly. Time is um, pretty intense. I mean, we basically get through things very, very, very fast. In the overall scheme of things, if you think, of, if compared it to a gaming group kind of th- situation. Yeah. Uh, with, when you just have one PC and it's it's a lot faster. Yeah. Um, the, and we I talked last week a little bit about background of So Claire, but I'm starting to realize that you know there's no real easy way to do a summary. So we're just going to talk for a little bit and give you some information as to what's been going on with So Claire, and hopefully it will be intelligible to you. And if it's not, um, well, you can ask questions. And we, can, we can try. We can eventually get to a point where we're actually, um, you know, saying things that make sense to somebody else besides us. Um, at any rate, uh, wanted to talk about. Well, really, the last bit with uh, So Claire has been the aftermath and, um, well, the prosecution and aftermath of the Demon War. There were demons that invaded, and they started this process by sneaking um, 
winding their way into the governments of two human countries, the uh, one called Amishka and another called the city-states of Yar. Um, both of them happen to be theocracies um, of one kind or another. The Amishkan lands uh, was where Soclair first found out there was something wrong. You were on a um, mission in Amishka undercover mm-hmm. as a bookseller, I think. A seller of antique scrolls. Scrolls. Mm-hmm. And that was your cover and you were using that cover to go and just sort of get a read on what was going on there to be a general agent. Yes, just to take a look at all the major cities and find out what was happening. Mm-hmm. You had Montan with you as uh, your brother. Yes, which was poor Montan, always playing my brother. <laughs> <laughs> that was a... That's a riff we do a lot. Montan is a gypsy sorcerer, human gypsy sorcerer kind of guy. He's also a herald um, in uh, Lunarge, and the heralds are the primary spy group, really. Um, And as I remember correctly, you hired on an Amishkin boy, where there was an Amishkin man of some kind, like a guide. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, somebody just sort of is an additional sort of cover person. But right. we didn't let him know anything beyond the cover story. Right. Not sure that he actually ended up knowing or not. Um, he didn't. Right. It's very difficult in Amishka for women because they have to go around veiled and um, it's it's definitely a strict Islamic analog society, right? But there's there was a um, there's a place called the Gardens, which allows it's a place where you can go and be unveiled and talk to other women in every city, and you were able to I think contact sort of an underground. Of uh, of female, and I think that's really where you met. Um, isn't that where you met uh, Annie at that point? I don't believe so. Uh, gosh, I can't remember where I met Annie, but it. Uh, wow. Yeah, I think that's exactly where you met her because she was um, this Oriolian priestess and. She was sort of mysterious. She was of the Order of the Purple Dawn, and she kept, like, you know, showing up at various times. Um, and I think it was very mysterious, really, at the time as to what she was or what her deal was, but um, she was involved in that situation. So you found out at an, in Amishka that a lot of the firstborn children, uh, boys, going off to various hidden camps and drilling with weapons and that they had stockpiled a bunch of swords. Actually, all the the men 
they get up, they, when they hit puberty, all the young men were being sent off. Right. And so, um, you know, obviously there was something going on, and then you found out about the arch. The, it's a magical artifact that they had uncovered, which was a connection, sort of a teleport connection to uh, Yar which reveal some of the Yarian Amishkin connection with each other. But it still wasn't clear yet what was what was sort of behind the scenes here. Still in the realm at that time of the possibility that maybe the Yarians and the Amishkins are going to be, you know, working together or maybe they were drawing upon some sort of common heritage. It um, still seemed weird because they they weren't known to be friendly. Right. Um, the Yarians are far too fundamentalist to accept another view of their god, Aelor. Um, and at the same time, the Amishkins have to follow this very complicated measure, which is a book that it's a lot of rules. So, um, at any rate, it wasn't really, I mean, you didn't really know for sure that demons had penetrated at the highest levels until much later. Yeah, I really really wasn't looking at demons at all at that point. Exactly. Um, later, I mean, there was this whole story that involved uh, a Yakuzan sorcerer family who lived on this lake, which is basically a time backwater. Um, stuff floats up out of the lake from time to time. And if you go out on the lake, sometimes you can reach in and pull stuff out of history. Um, and they found this pages of this book, which if you wrote the true name of someone on the book page, it would immediately fill in with listings of all their secrets and so the Yakuza was going to sell this to the highest bidder to the highest bidder and um, so Claire was there they had blank pages which could be used, they claimed to have blank pages right, they claimed to have blank pages and that they would, you know, you can show up and bid on it or they can just decide to use them against you or sell them to your enemies, or whatever. So you had this weird kind of... Um, all the major governments of uh, the magical country were there. And to prove that they really had these things, they presented each of us with a half page with the government representative's name on it, with our mm -hmm. secrets. Mm -hmm. Which was kind of disconcerting. To some people. To some people. <laughs> um, so, let's see. But at that point in time, um, at some point during that time period, there was some... Uh, you know, when you get a bunch of spies together, there's always going to be some kind of monkey business going on, and uh, there was a fight, and... Uh, one of the 
Well, actually, the Yarian contingent, the Yarian en- uh, envoy, um, died, or was seemed to have died. But uh, what we found out later was that he was a demon in a human form, uh, a demon lord in a human form, who had taken that moment to take over the head of the Yakuza house that was selling these pages. Um, I think in the end, you got a hold of your page, and... I believe we got one blank page. One blank page? And uh, the Amishkin who... uh, well, we cooperated with the Amishkin representative to escape. Right. The Yakuzan, another Yakuzan representative also did escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zizao. But we did, uh, came home with a child. Right. Uh, there was a lot of fighting and there was a big explosion and the house was destroyed. Zombies. Zombies. <laughs> they... Yeah, actually, yes. Uh, the um, the first thing that the demon lord did was call a bunch of zombies, uh, basically ancient warriors, out of the lake, um, out of history, and summoned them, and uh, that was nasty. Um, so it became quickly apparent that this that this. Uh, you know, Yakuza guy was not very happy, and the, there was a boy that you met there named Wing. Well, actually, his name wasn't Wing at the time. No. Uh, his name has actually been lost to us. He was the heir to the house that had hosted the auction. Mm-hmm. And so you took him in and said, you know, uh, we'll we'll protect you, and you created a sort of backstory for him. Um, but that's when he realized that there was de- there were demons at the highest level, and it basically at that point the uh, beginnings of the whole war of the ascent of man became clear, and there was uh, well, let's see. The war was really basically the two countries deciding to work together, Amishka and Yar, sending people, um, and there was, that's when we got Cydelia involved, which is the country between the two. Um, That was a really cute series of stories having to do with the peace treaty that was sort of a sham. Um, Actually, I had met one of the Cydalians when I went to Amishka. She was uh, right. She was the trying, envoy there. She was trying to break into the Amishkin jail to free one of her innumerable cousins. Maybe it wasn't Amishka. It was Yar. I think it was a Yarian no, jail. It was in Amishka. Okay. And I helped her get him out. So uh, I was actually in Amishka also to rescue someone who wanted to defect. Right. There was a. I got word while I was in country that somebody wanted to defect. Exactly. So she, I was out trying to get to this person while she was trying to break someone out of jail. Mm-hmm. So she helped me with the diversion after I helped her get her cousin out. Well, I had to cut that one short. 
um, in half, really. We're going to have more next time. But uh, for now, that'll be the end of the Game With Me segment for this time around. And finally, next up, we have feedback. Psst, John. John, wake up. What? There, there's a noise outside the tent. What, what, what could it be? It, it could be a bear, man. It could be a ghost. It, it could be a bear. It could be a fairy. Oh, man, we're in the Bears Grove. And this is the, the Bears, Bears Grove, Grove Podcast. Okay, first up we have uh, for feedback this week, we have a voice file from Mick Bradley of the Harping Monkey Podcasts. Uh, that would be the Misfit Brew podcast and the Roundtable podcast. So without further ado, here's what Mick has to say in response to my tropes segment. Hey, Sam, it's Mick Bradley. You were asking whether any of us had our own tropes in your last podcast, and I actually probably have several. But the one that those who've gamed with me a lot will definitely say is the most overt of my tropes is that whenever I'm creating a setting or running a published setting, I always have a fairly prominent NPC in the mix, and it's a 30-something woman with red hair, a passionate temper softened by a good deal of wisdom gained from experience, and some sort of spirited Celtic heritage. Her archetype and her approach to life tend to always remain fairly thematically consistent regardless of the setting, and so I guess you could justifiably say that she's pretty much the same character, just tweaked for whatever story function she's supposed to serve in that particular story. Now, Jeff and Judd from the Sons of Cryos recently had a discussion about pet NPCs on their show, and I must cop to being guilty of that on occasion. However, I do believe that I've grown up over the years so that my trope redhead is no longer a powerful, highly knowledgeable, and practically untouchable plot driver, but more of a story element, malleable by the actions of the players who interact with her, fallible and entirely mortal. But still, she's there. I know it is probably something that I ought to ditch if I'm to be taken seriously by good role players, but she's a habit that I find myself unwilling to break. As to why this archetypal image has such a hold on me, I guess I ought to refer anyone who is interested way back to Misfit Brew episode 5, because my trying to explain it here would be just too long of a message and it would be rude to take up that much of your time. But you are one of my favorite podcasters, sir. Your style and approach make me feel like you are a kindred spirit, and I have to answer your call on this one. So, there it is, my number one role-playing trope. I want to thank you for responding, Mick. Um, and my uh, take on what you were talking about is it's almost um, at the intersection of where tropes become archetypes and archetypes become tropes you have admitted this connection with a thought form of this person, this character that you, uh, who's essentially a, a mirror reflection of yourself in many ways. And I think that, you know, that might be, it definitely falls into the category of trope, but it also falls really strongly under the category of archetype and, I think it's, uh, well, just as indicative of your style as your eye color uh, is indicative um, by your genetics, 
So I, I really don't think that... I'm, I'm not sure if I would even like classify it in the same realm as a trope. Um, obviously, I guess it is, and a lot of people might have given you some grief over the years, uh, a little bit of grief about having this character reoccurring. I know that I have reoccurring characters in my stories. There is uh, the old man that squints um, is because I... Uh, Sometimes that's the only way I can really get across a good NPC is I, if I squint. Um, then there's the, uh, well, there's a couple of, uh, there's the urbane dashing adventurer. There's, uh, a, um, a wild, uh, you know, spark plug of a, uh, uh sort of a tempestuous woman. But, uh, yeah, I, I really do think that, uh, that's something to to really think about is like how, where does the line between a a mythic figure that really is good storytelling really is good mythic storytelling and a trope i mean wh- where does that line come from you know where where do we draw the line between those two and i guess they are very close together if not the same it's interesting that's something to think about thank you Finally, I want to end up with a feedback from uh, Anim5 from the International Detective Dragons from Outer Space podcast. And uh, I wanted to read you his... He basically says, Hiya, I'm long overdue with a thank you for your good mention of IDDFOS. Thank you. I thought I'd send this along too. I sent it to Dragon's Landing way back in March before I knew anything about... Bears Grove or your Dragonkin podcast. It's a printable set of in- improvisation dice that might be fun for preschoolers. Thank for the thanks for the fine listening at Bears Grove and please keep the fun coming. Best of days. Well, thank you, Adam Five, and best of days to you as well. I I like this a lot, and I think that it might be a fun project for kids and for gamers in general to uh, make one of these and just play with it. Um, and I'd like to also see uh, what kind of um, RPG uses it could be put to. I mean, I think there's been a couple of times when I've longed for a dice that's marked up a different way, somehow giving me little glyphs instead of numbers so that I can use it almost like a tarot deck um, for spawning new stories and that sort of thing. So I am going to see if my meager... Uh, crafting skills up to this project at some point soon. But thank you so much for suggesting to it. And I'll put a link in the show notes or the good, 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 the good, 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 I can't say it. The good, 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 Gudakadingadangadunes. Uh, that's probably not right. But anyway, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Thanks. Well, as we are incredibly over our time limit today, um, I decided I've decided just to go ahead and go straight for the closing credits, as it were. Thank you so much for listening to the Bears Grove. I put this together because. 
I want to and because I enjoy it. And when someone else listens to it, it just blows me away. Um, I really enjoy the fact that something that I do can be enjoyed by somebody else. Um, I obviously the, the broadcast part of this puzzle is important to me, but even more important is that, you know, I get a chance to do this and, and you give me the opportunity to come into your brain for a short time and share with you my knowledge or my ideas or just my opinion or whatever. So I really, really appreciate you listening to me. Um, if you have any feedback, go ahead and go to bearsgrove.com. There's a number of ways for you to get a hold of me there. You can check out our forums at forum.bearsgrove.com. You can also call the Bears Grove hotline, which the other hotline was drastically uh, ignored for so long that it died. So we have a new hotline. And that one, I will give you the number for, and it is uh, 206-202-3275. That's 206-202-3275 if you want to call the Bears Grove hotline. Now, um, this is a Creative Commons work. That means that for me... The uh, work is a non-commercial. It means you can't sell it. Uh, no derivatives. That means I don't want you to chop it up. An attribution podcast. So what you can do with this is listen to it, give it away, give it to anybody else you want, as long as you don't charge for it. I encourage you to seek out uh, more methods, more ways of using the Creative Commons license to add to our culture to increase the number of free things that are available for people to enjoy. Think about it. What can you do? Can you give over one of your chick, uh, one of your favorite recipes to us? Can you write a story and put it under creative commons? Can you put a book of poetry into creative commons for us? How about uh, composing some music and putting into creative commons? Just anything. Just uh, think about that. Think about what you could add to the, equation. I've put this out there. It's time for you to try and do something too, I think. Um, let's see. I would like to very much thank the people who helped with this podcast and, and especially uh, Cynthia, who was gracious enough to give me some time to do the uh, Game With Me segment. And I'd also like to thank the folks who've been doing bumpers for me uh, Sarah and Nev from the Does My Geek podcast, um, Jeff and Judd from Sons of Kryos, and uh, and the folks from the Godzilla Gaming podcast, and I'm really pleased that I keep getting these. So keep it coming, folks. I really enjoy them. And finally, I just wanted to say, um, sweet dreams when you get them. Thanks so much. Bye bye. <laughs>